So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Happy Monday. It is Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Trotar. Sandy Clough on my left, the great Danny Bailey in the booth. The call and text line 303-831-1340. We'll start with the Denver Nuggets who made a statement type of performance yesterday in their 119-103 win over the Golden State Warriors, a game that was reasonably close. The Nuggets made, of course, a, a big run to close the first half. And then fourth quarter, the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, the second half, the Nuggets basically just blew their doors off. Nikola Jokic, 32 points, 16 boards, 16 assists, four steals, only the fifth player in the history of the NBA to have that number, 30 plus, 16, 16, and four steals. The other four all point guards. And post-All-Star break, Sandy has this. In the three games since the All-Star break, in which the Nuggets are 3-0, Jokic is averaging 27.3 points per game, 16.7 rebounds per game, and 16.7 assists per game. The latter two numbers, as you can imagine, would absolutely be far and away leading the league, and the 27 point would find themselves, would put him in the top 10. And that's with shooting six. 87 yeah. from the field. And there is no way to diminish that. And I think the two things that might come to mind sort of cancel out one from the other. Three games and four nights. To do that for three games and four nights, extraordinary. There is the obligatory reference to the nature of the opposition, three of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, Golden State is playing better, but Golden State, against any kind of resistance, any kind of quality team, and uh, I did not go back and check this out, but I'm judging by their four losses in four games to the Nuggets and the fact that they never beat the Nuggets anymore. Golden State, the Clippers, and the Lakers are the three teams you want to play in the playoffs if you're if you're the nuggets and i think if you're most teams i think if you're minnesota those are the teams you want i think if you're oklahoma city those are the teams you want i mean if you're phoenix those are the is teams age part of that because the one thing you're talking about that's similar between all those three is some of their major cogs are older players well let me use clay thompson for an example who was by the way lights out last night obviously but but that then was faded. for a few minutes yeah and then he was Clay by the, Thompson. By the second half, then he, circa, he faded. You know, 23-24. And no, his benching wasn't like former teammate Jordan Poole's, which he saw last week when Washington came in and played the Nuggets. 
And it was one of the great spin jobs of all time by Brian Keefe, the interim coach of the Washington Wizards, saying, uh, oh, it's great for him. He gets to lead the second team. He can shoot his ass off. You know, I mean, that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, but Clay Thompson, I think, with perhaps a longer and better relationship with Steve Kerr, has, has gone from being a full-time starter to a guy coming off the bench and he was hot coming off the bench but he can't sustain that anymore and you only see even those flashes from time to time he's over the hill and it's a shame i think the injuries combination of the achilles injury and the torn acl took two or three years off his career as a top flight player where he is now is where Without the injuries, he would have been two or three years from now. Right. I think he'd still be certainly a starter and a, and a very good player otherwise. I don't know what the deal is with Steph Curry against the Nuggets. Steph Curry never plays well against them. One for 10 for three. Never. Six for 19. Never, ever, ever. And on Christmas Day, remember, you do too, the national TV game. They said, well, on Christmas Day, Steph Curry never plays well. Well, Christmas Day, they were playing the Nuggets, and that had a lot more to do with his not playing well than some kind of random stat that shows that on Christmas Day his numbers aren't great. It was the team he was playing on Christmas Day. If he's playing the Portland Trailblazers on Christmas Day, he he plays well. Jamal Murray eats him up now. Yeah, uh, to, he does. Almost to the point of embarrassment. Uh, Jamal Murray's a better three-point shooter in games he plays against Steph Curry. Steph Curry can't make a three to save his life in games against the Nuggets. You go back and look at the games against the Nuggets, recent games, especially during this winning streak that the Nuggets have developed now against Golden State. Golden State and the Lakers are the two most fraudulent teams in the league because they, they beat up on mainly the five or six teams that aren't really trying to win or aren't equipped to win. The last but they get to the point where and and against each other, you know, the games are uh, pretty good. But to your point, the last five watching. appearances for Curry against the Nuggets. Yeah. The last five games. Yeah. Starting from last night, 31.6% from the field, 47.8, And that's his total field goal percentage. That's, that's not total. three point. That's no, not three point. The three point, I give you that too. 10% last night, as we know. He yeah. did go five for 12 the game before that in January. It's 41.7. But then three for 13, 23.1. A six for 13, which was good and last in, in November, right. in their first game of this year. But prior to that, two for 14, 14.3. Right. He just does not no, play well against. No, and, and it has something to do Murray with, and to an extent Contavious Caldwell Pope. Yes, yes, yes. The Nuggets have two, at least two guards who can play them. And I even thought, and maybe they were switches and I was making too much of it, but I, I saw Christian Brown, I did too. by the way, I thought was terrific, playing against Steph Curry and he was more, great last, yeah, he was more really good than holding night. his own. And I thought, uh, obviously, Jokic and Murray were the best players on the floor, were either side. Uh, I thought the third best player in the ballgame was Christian Brown last night. He, he turned the game. I mean, the third quarter. He, he's in the game as they're lengthening their lead out and they're solidifying themselves and he finishes uh on a night uh in which uh 
you know, the bench in a plus-minus sense was not great. Uh, he was the best over yeah. 20 minutes. It, just about break-even point. And, you know, I, I don't count the fourth quarter. The game was over after I will, I will argue with I don't you really slightly, but I, with giving Brown credit, because I think Brown was very good. But I think this is one of those games where he ends up hiding when you look at the score sheet. But I think this is one of those games where Caldwell Pope was a major factor. I think Caldwell Pope harassed Well, no, no. Curry, I, I, I think he ran, I, but, but yeah, I get your point. That, uh, it was one of the best performances true. of the year for Christian Brown. Oh, I think uh, but so. I think when you see Golden I, State kind of get yeah. shut down as the game goes along, I think a lot of that goes with Caldwell Pope, especially in the yeah. backcourt. I thought he was really good, I, I as just, well as effective for uh, shooting five for nine. When you go on a fourteen nothing run, and then the second well, half four to four all combined or something. Well, that extent, right? It was it was more than that because you're leaving out the four points that Golden State scored to start the second half. Mm-hmm. Then they go on a fourteen zero run again. Right. I mean, I've never seen that in a game You're before. You're right. It was 28-4. to four. You're correct. Well, yeah, that but was, it was really that run. It was 14 really points by the Nuggets, 4 by Golden State, 14 and 14-0 by the Nuggets again. So I, I, I just thought last night, I, I'm texting back and forth with a friend of mine who is, um, how should I put this, uh, not a cronky guy and therefore – I think he has a tendency to conflate his issues with cronky sports Mm -hmm. with the Nuggets and the Avalanche. So he's texting me, um, you know, they're down 15, 16, whatever their largest deficit was in the first half, the Nuggets. And he's saying, looks like uh, the Nuggets are on the verge of being blown out slash embarrassed tonight. And I said, I'll tell you what. I will guarantee you, guarantee you, steak dinner at the steakhouse of your choice. (laughs) Nuggets will win the game by at least 10 points. And I've never been more sure of a statement I've made in years, if not decades. Because I know the way these games go. This game went in a somewhat similar way to the game they played back in San Francisco the last time the two teams met. Right. Where the Warriors had an 18-point lead, and there was and no it. doubt in my mind that the Nuggets would win that game, Nuggets too. Nuggets won that one by three. They came back now, and won it late. This, this happens, but when you've seen it happen over and over and over again, it happened last year. Golden State had a huge lead in the final five or six minutes, I think. And just fell apart. They can't beat the Nuggets. The Nuggets' big advantage right now over virtually every other team in the NBA, save for maybe Boston, and even this year they were the first team to beat Boston in Boston. They won and 0 against the Celtics. When the Nuggets want to play and feel the urge to compete or the necessity to compete. They have a tremendous psychological advantage over just about every team you can think of. And I say with a possible exception of Boston, but I even think there, one's a champion, the other's a near champion, but hasn't won a championship yet. And there's nobody, and I mean nobody, and, you know, I, I didn't think when the Nuggets were in fourth place 
I thought the estimate that we talked about last week, they had a 4% chance of finishing first. I'd say it's about a 30 to 35% chance they win the division. Because right now they're in second place, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, The Clippers looked terrible last night at home against Sacramento. They got their doors blown Nuggets one and a half I think Sacramento's a better team than the Clippers. I think that the the four best teams in the West, and I don't think it's even close right now, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, according to standings. But my sense is that right now it's Denver, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and Sacramento, one through four. And I would actually put Phoenix as a more dangerous team than L.A. as well, than the Clippers, certainly than the Lakers. Uh, Accent on more dangerous right. and more dangerous only with Beal. Correct. Well, they have, they have to be Durant. completely they healthy. Have, they have to be healthy. Completely yeah. healthy, yeah. of which they've had challenges with. That's why they're sitting in the sixth spot. The Nuggets now one and a half out of first in the Western Conference behind Minnesota and Oklahoma City are both tied at 40 and 17. And, and it's, it's a good point, Sandy. I get it when you're looking at the way that they've played against those two clubs. But they're only one and a half out here. There's still a lot of basketball to you're, play. You're exactly right. And and, and, and if you're going to ask me which team is going to be stronger down the stretch, I'm just going to take the better yeah. team. Well, listen, uh, Minnesota uh, ran up against a buzzsaw in Milwaukee on Friday yeah. night. And I watched that entire game from, from start to finish. I'm curious about Minnesota. And, it, you know, people who watch that game can weigh in, Danny, you, um, anybody my impression was that milwaukee won the game more than minnesota lost it. i i didn't think minnesota was at home i didn't think it was a flat performance or anything like that by minnesota uh i just thought milwaukee played very very well they and milwaukee's in that game. one of those teams let look at their two games against the nuggets right really impressive in one and not really very impressive in the other who knows what milwaukee team you're going to get on any given night I contrast that with Sacramento and the Clippers, where I, I think a lot of teams could have beaten the Clippers last night at home, not just Sacramento. Now, Sacramento can be a little flighty, too, mm-hmm. all right? But they've got Sabonis, who is, for this year anyway, as much of a triple-double machine as Jokic is. Correct. And he had another one last, last night, night 17, and he almost 15, had 12. one by halftime. Bob Myers, who I, I'm thrilled to see doing analysis now on NBA games, uh, working for ESPN, the former general manager of the Golden State Warriors. Boy, is he good. He breaks down a guy's game. He is not afraid to be critical. Now, he, was doing, he wasn't doing the Nugget game right. with Golden State, and I think that probably was by design because uh, uh, he was much more outspoken doing Clippers and Sacramento. And he's talking about Sabonis. And I just thought his insight on Sabonis was brilliant. Strengths, weaknesses, how to attack him, why he was having a hard time with Zubats at the beginning, but mm. how he adjusted yeah. and came to dominate the game. Uh, really, really good. And he was talking about a lot of the telecasts because the game wasn't that close, about the West and the four teams at the top and so on. And I'll tell you what, uh, I think for Bob Myers, the team right now that most closely resembles the four championship teams he built in Oakland and San Francisco 
is unquestionably the Nuggets. Later that night on Sports Center, after those the doubleheader was over, Tim Legler joined Scott Van Pelt, and uh, this is I kind of suspected this would happen because look, uh, the, the Nuggets are the champs. I get all I get all that. We understand that here. I think there are people around the NBA media that still think that was a little bit odd. Not that the Nuggets didn't deserve it, but it's, it's the Nuggets, right? They never won in in uh, half a century. And the idea that, well, oh, they they beat the, on national TV, they beat the Warriors in San Francisco. Boy, that is kind of a statement. It felt like a little bit of a wake-up for certain members of the media. You know what these people think? They think the Warriors are the team still that won those four titles. And they are. No, and they But they are commented upon as if they are still that kind of team. And that means you get a comment and an interesting take here by Tim Legler about what I think people in Denver look at, at something obvious, but for the national media, this is kind of still where the Nuggets are at. But we're going to hit March at the end of this week, and at some point it's time to talk about these reigning champs, and their performance on Sunday invites some some uh, an opportunity for you to tell us what you see with Denver right now. Yeah, I love the, the way you put that with Denver. It's like, you, you know, we've opened every door in that house. We know what that house looks like. Right. So we'll get to it at some point. Well, here we are. Now we have a stretch run. This is the point. It's going to get serious now. They're 3-0 since the break. It's not a coincidence. They're averaging 36 assists a game in those three. All right, their offense is, is precise again. Here's what I still see out of them, though. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that there's no doubt the edge wasn't quite there in the regular season, Mm -hmm. as you wouldn't expect it to be when you win a title. It's just natural. What is there, though, this is the number one rated defensive team in clutch time. They execute because they communicate. They do not make mistakes on defensive assignments late in the game. They've got great versatility, which means they can switch a lot of things that a lot of teams in this league can't, and they don't make mistakes on those switches. A lot of that is the quarterbacking of Jokic defensively. But then it's, it's Gordon and Porter's improved that way. They get into guys when they have to. And then offensively, they're right there. Their net rating is mind-boggling in those situations, how good they are mm-hmm. on both ends of the floor when they have to be and when it's required. It's still the most precise team in the NBA. Boston has more versatility within that starting group. Mm-hmm. All five of those guys will play both ends of the floor, and they can beat you anyway offensively. But this is the group, if you have to trust somebody late, Make a play defensively, execute a, a, a game plan, or run something to get a quality shot when you have to have it. I trust Denver still more than anybody in the league. That's a credit to Michael Malone, the head coach, and a credit to the players who have had the ability to, to and gel and work together. Also, credit to Tim Legler for, for paying noticing. attention. And, and they, they did commenting tease on the that Nuggets defense during the game, not just uh, Jokic's they, gaudy they numbers. They did tease that. In fairness, the the people doing the game who I thought were into this Golden State thing far too deeply, uh, you know, talking about a team that existed three years ago, four years ago. Five, I mean, not that's not true. Two years ago, three or four years ago, they were terrible. Uh, but it, that one final championship linked up with the other uh, three. But they did acknowledge, boy, final five minutes of close games defensively in those situations. And they're the ones that matter. In most final NBA five games, minutes, yeah. games that are five points Often one way or five points late. the other. You measure a team by what they do in those circumstances. The Nuggets always get good shots, and the Nuggets almost always prevent the opposition from getting the shot it wants to get. And that's a formula for winning. Mike Shanahan had the great line once upon a time. There are many, many, many ways to win. The champions find 
ways to win. There are many ways to win, many different ways. And so the point about versatility in Boston is a good point. Boston's issue to me, and it kind of has been their issue, whether Missoula was coaching or uh, Udoka before that, mm-hmm. take too many threes, take too many wild threes. And and too, too many times I get the feeling, not, not so much Derek White actually, but Jalen Brown and even Tatum, who's superb, they're shooting for their averages. And I never get the sense that with the possible exception of Murray on occasion, that any of the Nuggets do that. Jokic doesn't do it. Jokic doesn't do it. There isn't a basket that Jokic ever scores that isn't in the context of the offense. No, or necessarily isn't the best available Ever. Ever. Nuggets find themselves in a good place. Now they will take on the Kings, who they have yet to beat. Uh, They could be swept by the Kings. They don't get That's it done on Wednesday. It's a true fact. Uh, indeed. Yeah. We'll have to take a look more at, at that game as the week goes along, and we'll take a look more at the Nuggets as now, well I, in this I'm, program. I, I am saying that there are a few teams that psychologically aren't afraid of the Nuggets, but they tend to be the young, upcoming, proven teams who haven't had their hearts broken yet. Right. As the Nuggets did. That's part of the For process. For three years in the playoffs. Really? Uh I'm not exaggerating. You might question that. I'm not exaggerating. I think, and this is what people are asking about Minnesota, and I heard somebody, maybe it was Stephen A. Smith, say the other day, well, they had their hearts broken last year against the Nuggets. Come on now. That was a first-round series. They were prohibitive underdogs. (laughs) The series was four games to one. Yeah. And come on. Four four to one, right? To to really have your heart broken. Lose a series you're supposed to win. Right. That happened as far back as five years ago to the Nuggets, who did have their hearts broken and and grew from that. Had their hearts broken and then got embarrassed in 2022 when they got swept out of the playoffs by Phoenix. Nuggets look to be taking things a little more seriously now. The Kings loom on Wednesday, but in the NFL, the scouting combine comes up. Won't be the same without a significant NFL reporter announcing his retirement today. We'll talk about the great Peter King next on My Life Sports. It was there where Pierre was waiting to the lovely Mademoiselle. C'est la vie, c'est the old folks. Hold the show you never can tell. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. To be a long-termer in an increasingly short-term business, to write this column for 27 years, and to be a sports writer for 44, well, that's something I'll always be grateful for. Truly, I've loved it all. That from Peter King in his retirement today, his final column on Football Morning in America over at uh, NBCSports.com, which he has written for uh, many, many years. Started back in uh, at least 2018 with the NBC exclusively, but he's been uh, doing this for a long time and decided to go ahead and, and, and hang it up. When you think about, yeah, that that stretch of time, it really is remarkable. And, and the point he brought up with the increasingly short-term business, that's also true as the idea is to keep things, you know, moving on social media. There's always the be more exciting, uh, be more uh, hot takes, launch more of things that will get reactions. 
And Peter King never really did that. He just gave you the facts, and then he went in depth as to why the facts mattered, which I think at least for uh, guys like you and guys like me, uh, I think that's still the way to do it. I think that's still the way to sustain. I think it's one of the reasons you're still here. And uh, you know, I'm hoping, so certainly I haven't had the time that you have spent, but I think it's one of the reasons I'm still around too. And it is difficult to think of the way football is covered, even in the warp speed pace that it is today, without a Peter King as that voice every Monday. I think the column he writes is remarkable and uh, frankly grueling. And uh, it, listen, he's been rewarded. He talks about it in his farewell column today, how fortunate he's been along the way, hired at age 31 by Sports Illustrated. I mean, that's hard to top. Uh, he had spent time in Cincinnati. Uh, and then with Newsday, uh, I used to read him uh, in the, in the mid 1980s when I'd go to uh, a newspaper stand. Remember those right in Colorado that literally had all newspapers from around the country. And I mean, they were a few days old, but you know, I was a newspaper nut. As I, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Carrying them in. See the stacks. So I, I, I love reading newspapers still. And he made transitions that today seem routine, but back then were were very difficult. Uh, not only did he become, I think, the, the foremost National Football League writer in America, but he became uh, very good on television and on podcasts. He still uh, does one or, or did one on a regular basis with Mike Florio, pro football talk on a weekly basis during the, during the season. Um, he, he writes the kind of column you just don't see very much anymore. No. You used to see it in the Sunday papers, and they were called notes columns, the dot, dot, dots, filled with information. Will McDonough did it mm-hmm. uh, with the Boston Globe. Boston Globe kind of pioneered that sort of column. Well, Will McDonough, Bob Ryan, uh, the great basketball writer, Peter Gammons, uh, the Hall of Fame right. uh, baseball correspondent. They wrote Sunday notes columns. Kevin Paul DuPont did it for hockey. So they had everything covered. And the columns, you had to read them. And they weren't just local stuff. I mean, Will McDonough was as well-connected as any reporter. Uh, Bob Ryan, uh, about whom Larry Bird once said, he knows our plays better than some of our players do. Uh, Peter Gammons had every source there was to have that was worth anything in Major League Baseball. And Peter King wrote that way and wrote one of the last columns that, you know, you you would feel it worthwhile, yes, to spend 40, 45 minutes. It's the 10,500-word columns. Right. Take 40, 45 minutes to read. No one wants to take that long Not to read more. in one Time one sitting, for sure. In one sitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't read books the way they used to no. anymore. Uh, and in fact, I was telling a friend the other day, the books I tend to gravitate to now, and I think more authors are understanding this, short chapters are best. 
You can have a zillion chapters, but make them short. Right. Give people a, a, a point to t- take right. a break. Right. right. And it, it, it and and move it moves the and that's what Peter King is able to do. And I, I mean, there were some standard stuff in every column. You know, ten things I think, and uh, this year the forty for forty, which is his memories of uh, his forty years of covering the National Football League, nineteen eighty four through two thousand twenty three. Peter and I are the same age. Um, I've gotten to know him pretty well uh, down through the years, largely because he comes out to Bronco training camp or at least did until very recently, every single year. And we'd have him on uh, just about every single year. I know you've talked to him mm-hmm. uh, when he's been out uh, for training camp. Uh, the last time I saw Peter was at the CU-USC game back in October, and you saw him too. He was mm-hmm. in the press box. Yep, You're doing sure the, was. the PA, and Peter was there in the press box. And I was kidding him about uh, uh, slumming at uh, college football game, and he said, this is the most exciting game of the weekend it, you know and he was, was right when it, it, Deion <laughs> Mania was, right. was at its yeah. zenith and Caleb Williams uh, yeah, you know coming absolutely. in yeah, I mean, absolutely and yeah. Caleb Williams coming in and he wrote Good he led his column the following Monday two days later uh, he led his column with with CU USC and uh, various observations uh, he had made uh yes there is opinion in those columns and you you definitely know what his point of view is um, he has been for so long associated with National Football League coverage that I think there are times people feel that he is uh, uh, a little too forgiving when it comes to the NFL. But I know for a fact uh, he covered Bill Belichick uh, for Newsday when Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, and he covered them during a time when they won their first Super Bowl ever against, I can't remember who they yeah, I do. 39-20. Had a pretty good quarterback. I think the final score is 39-20. <sighs> and I think I attended the game. Mm. Uh, but anyway, um, but 20 years later, when Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots, was caught up in Spygate, King knew Belichick better than most of us did. It covered him. It was tough on him. And Belichick never spoke to him again. And, I mean, Belichick isn't the best interview subject in the world no, or the best source in no the world. No, not. But to have the preeminent coach in the NFL not talking to you, um, you know, I remember when Paul Zimmerman covered the New York Jets in the days of my youth, and Joe Namath got caught up in a Bachelor's Three uh, controversy, restaurant he owned, and Pete Rozelle determined there was a gambling element. And he said, you either sell or you can't play. And Namath said, I'll call your bluff. I'm retiring. Mm-hmm. And this was a mark of how famous Namath was at the time. The Jets had just won the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden, Pete Rozelle was forcing Joe Namath into retirement. Well, cooler heads prevailed. They, they worked it out. But there were headlines, and Paul Zimmerman wrote for the New York Post, where the controversial headline is standard fair. Writers don't write the headlines, though. No, not usually. Joe Namath spent the rest of his career in New York freezing out Paul Zimmerman to the point where if Zimmerman were in the media throng, yep. Namath wouldn't answer would, any, questions any questions until Zimmerman left. Right. And Zimmerman went back years and years later and did 
a piece with Namath. And he asked him at one point, why, why did you do that? And Namath said, I, I can't even remember now exactly <laughs> what it was that set me off. And Zimmerman went crazy. He says, you can't remember. You made my life a living hell. Yeah. For eight or nine years, the most famous athlete in the world at the time, this side, maybe of Muhammad Ali, right? Joe Namath. Who wouldn't talk to him. So, I mean, that that always got my respect, that he was willing to write things, say things that might offend even the most powerful, influential uh, people in the business. But I, I, he's the same age I am. Uh, we kind of like the same things, and uh, I, I found him uh, to be uh, just uh, – a breath of fresh air down through the years. And uh, he was doing a lot more heavy lifting than I was, writing a 10,500-word yeah, column. That big... kept him up on Sunday nights and Monday mornings until 2.33 in the morning. You're 66. I wouldn't be into that either. Yeah, the uh, I, I thought the the quote in there today was talking about Jeff Schultz, the writer in Atlanta. Yes. And he said to when... Another good guy. Schultz retired in One December and said, quote, let me get bored. I yeah. want to yeah. know what that feels yeah. like. <laughs> and King said well, that resonated. I, I must say, uh, between the time um, I left and we right. left. Mm -hmm. uh, previous outlet. Previous outlet. And the time I hooked up with you last March 13th. Right. I was bored and I didn't like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, being bored for six months, I I could take that, actually. Yeah. Uh, but I was ready to come back after six months, and Peter King he admitted, may come he, back. He admitted that as well. In a reduced like, role, doing like different I need to do something. things, and might need to but do something. Not. But then again, he might not. 10,000 words a, a week. I mean, obviously, that's, that's a big, heavy lift, but obviously a, a, remarkable, a remarkable career if that is indeed the end of it. And I think that there's... Uh, there are a lot of ways in his column, the way he wrote it for so long, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for conscientious writers to pick up, to learn from some of it, to maybe use some of it. Because well, I he quite named some think, of them in, in here, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I agree with each and every one of and them. I think a They're lot all must-reads. The people he recommended, yeah. including Mike Sando of The Athletic, who has a, a pick-six column every Monday, right. in which he goes to executives and coaches and yes they're anonymous but they're still insightful because their anonymity is protected and he writes a very good column uh that isn't quite as long as peter's but uh it is a very good column for the athletic and uh, uh sports illustrated uh, has a good monday morning columnist bedard i mm -hmm. think greg bedard uh writes for sports Illustrated. one of the few still writes for sports Illustrated. Yeah, human ones at least uh, but yes, think of that as you will. But it is, uh, it's obviously a, uh, a career to celebrate. And if that is indeed the end, pretty yeah. remarkable, a yeah, footprint absolutely. that is, uh, as Four we years. see the long-time writers um, in long form, a few and far between. But there's still, oh, it's tough. Still no uh, better way tough. to actually learn the nuts and bolts of not only the game itself, but how the whole league. And he's functions. a better writer than he says he is in the column, too. Uh, he certainly. is not just a compiler of information. He is a 
very, very good writer. Right, right. And and that's sort of the beauty of it. And so it will be a, a best of luck to Peter King, obviously influential, I think, in a lot of people's work, certainly. Uh, in ours over here as well, you know, as, as you put it, uh, compulsory reading on a Monday morning before we go do a show during NFL seasons. And a little bit strange to see it move on. It will be March by the end of this week. Yes, it will. Uh, there's a certain thing that happens in college basketball in March. It's pretty exciting. It's going to be coming up real fast for the local squads. We'll take a tour around college hoops in the state of Colorado. Eh, one good thing happening, one bad thing happening. We'll check out the Rams. We'll check out the Buffs. And we'll check out briefly as well the uh, Colorado women's team that's running into a bumpy spot as well. So getting, as, as they say, where the proverbial rubber hits the road, we'll check in with all it's the getting late early around here. There you go. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Getting close to the end of the college basketball regular season. As it stands, the last game for Colorado State Rams, the top-rated team in the state. They ended up losing on the road to UNLV 66-60. to It is their second straight loss. They have lost three of four games but th- this loss uh, I-, I got to catch a-, a good chunk of it I wish I could say I could catch all of it but I caught a good chunk of it and it, it felt to me as if this was one of those games that uh, okay you have a six point loss on the road to a team that is very good uh, in an in-conference rival okay I mean that happens I it, it didn't feel like a make or break game this one felt like it would have been oh, nice it, it would have been great for the Rams to win it but the loss doesn't really change the trajectory very and, much. And I say, well, okay, but aren't they seventh in an 11-team league? That's mm-hmm. not very good. Eight and seven is not all that great. And they are. And, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're behind all these teams. Utah State, Boise State, San Diego State, Nevada, UNLV, New Mexico. But, you know, New Mexico beat CSU. Great. Turns around. And because CSU and Air Force are travel partners, they're home on the same weekends and they're traveling on the same weekends, same way it works in the Pac-12, basically. You just pair off. Air Force goes in to the pit, and good for Joe Scott. Knocks him off. Makes a last-second shot to beat him 78-77. And I'm like, is that, is that a good week for New Mexico or not? Yeah, you beat yeah. Colorado State at home, but, but you, you lost, lost to Air Force, Air Force at home. A team that going in was 1-12 and 12 in Mountain West Conference play. That, that's a terrible loss. And, yes, there's six teams ahead of them, but they're not all going to win because they play one another here down the stretch. Somebody's got to lose, and if Colorado State stays clean – They've got home games with Nevada and Wyoming. And then 
Air Force. And then Air Force on a road. And they should probably. And they should win all three. Win all three of those. Here's what uh, John Gassaway of ESPN talked about on their Bubble Watch uh, story today, updated with the Rams part of it. Quote, right. Nico Medved's team remains one win away from lock status after yes. a six-point loss at UNLV. The slight delay in imminent promotion affords the Bubble Watch the opportunity to once again praise Colorado State's stout interior defense, even in defeat in Las Vegas. The Rams held the Rebels to 39% shooting inside the arc at 20-8 and eight with wins over Creighton, San Diego State, Utah State, Boise State, New Mexico, and Colorado. CSU will be a lock soon enough. And I, I think the CSU problem the other night, uh, overall their defense is excellent, especially on the interior. Uh, UNLV shot under 38% for the game. Made only 17 field goals in a 40-minute basketball game. That's pretty good. Uh, but the difference was 26 for 31 at the line to CSU's 12 for 18. Uh, CSU had a bad night at the line, didn't get there very much, and fouled too much. Uh, 26 for 31. That's the difference in the game. Rebounding basically uh, dead even. Uh and, of course, CSU, usually a pretty good shooting team, only shot 38.9% itself and only made six out of 24 threes. And, again, 12 for 18 at the line. Uh, Stevens was good. Uh, I thought Clifford was solid, but nobody really shot it uh, all that well. And yet, you know, it was tight right throughout. And uh, the home team one in the end, but uh, CSU's calling card undefeated in conference play at home. And they have two of the remaining three at home and the other one's at Air Force. Um, Air Force is never easy, but CSU played a tough game against Air Force earlier in the year, and I'm thinking they're going to go 11-7 and seven in conference play and it's hard for me to believe that that will be good for any worse than fourth place. So looking at least on track for the Rams, they take on Nevada, by the way. That's a national game. It will uh, will be up at Moby, but an 8.30. FS1, by yeah, the way. Yeah, 8.30 p.m. start uh, late, at least to this time frame. But that's because you right. get that, uh, but that, call, that crowd's going to be great tomorrow oh. night. 8.30 p.m. At that hour? FS1 is going to be electric, so hopefully the Rams can turn things around there. In Boulder, Colorado, you were at that game yes. uh, this weekend when the, the Buffs just laid waste to the Utah Utes. The final score, 89-65. to 65. The Buffs have four games remaining, two at home against Cal, Stanford, two on the road against Oregon and Oregon State. The game against Cal will be at Wednesday. So now these kind of midweek games are starting to come up as they get now really down to the end. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of the update that ESPN said as well. Colorado wasn't going to play its way into the projected field with a win at home over Utah, but the Buffaloes could have dealt their hopes a serious blow with a loss. Well, the same thing with the USC Almost game. the reverse of where the Rams were right, at. Right, exactly. Instead, K.J. Simpson rang up 28 points, and CU won easily 89-65. to At 18-9, and Tad Boyle's team is still outside the projected field. In fact, the Buffs might stay there, even assuming wins in upcoming home games over Cal and Stanford. If those victories well, do materialize, yeah. <laughs> an end-of-season trip... They, they're going to have to win at Oregon, Oregon State. And Oregon State looms large for a Colorado team that's 2-6 and six on the road in Pac-12 yeah. play. And that road record, when when you start looking at all of these teams in that sort of pile of do they deserve to be in the tournament somewhere or do they not, 
when you start seeing outliers, stats that are outliers, like a really poor road record, those are the things that ding you in the end and maybe from certain voters can get you eliminated. But there's a chance to make up for that. They have two more road games. They'll still still only finish four and six. They've already beaten Oregon. Uh, Oregon isn't playing as well as it was playing when Oregon and CU met earlier in the year. Oregon State's in last place. You've got to win that game. Uh, Cal and Stanford at home should be uh, relatively routine. Uh, the Buffs get one or two injuries, fortunately not season-ending injuries to anybody, but just the, these injuries. Um, on Friday, in basically a non-contact practice, uh, Julian Hammond, who's one of the seven in their rotation, uh, along with Luke O'Brien coming off the bench, he sprains his knee. Right. And then Cody Williams just rolls his ankle, uh, you know, in kind of an innocent-looking play that most people didn't even see. Uh, missed a bulk of action in the first half, uh, about nine minutes, but showed a lot of guts, came back and played on it in the second half, actually played okay on one leg. Um, and after the game, they think they get the swelling isn't too bad. Uh, they th- think they can get it down. Uh, no idea if he'll play on Wednesday, uh, but I, I would I would think he'd be back in fairly short order. But boy, they've had buzzards luck uh, up there with uh, injuries this year, and they're not as deep a team as they will be next year. And Tad's talking now, about that with us on a couple of. You years. are losing Cody Williams more than likely as part of that. Um, That's yeah, problematic. But uh, more more than likely, I I just you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll continue to say I think it would benefit the young man to, to stay for one more year. Anyway. Oh, I agree. I think he'd be I, a I better player. I think he'd play more. Uh, I, I think it's been kind of an incomplete year for him, largely because of three separate injuries. Um, wrist injury kept him out um, in the month of December, basically. Uh, then he uh, got hit in the face and wearing a mask, and then he rolls his ankle uh, the other night. Tough kid, though. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll give him oh, that. Yeah. He's he's tough. And I'll tell you what, K.J. Simpson, uh, I agree with Tad Boy. He starts to get national recognition, uh, I think, when hell freezes over, apparently. Uh, I, I don't get it. Uh, he's a player of the year candidate in the Pac-12, so he's getting recognition uh, within the Pac-12. I thought all around he was sensational. The other night, defensively, you got to remember this guy is uh, what six two, mm-hmm. hundred ninety pounds, right? Not, and he's a tremendous rebounder. Um, he had four the other night. Uh, he had three assists, shot ten of fifteen from the field, five of eight on threes, made all three free throws. Uh, just unbelievable. Plus twenty nine in thirty five minutes, nineteen seconds of game action. He was the dominant player on the floor. And Davion Smith for uh, Utah is one of the better guards in the league. And he just ate him up, uh, ate him up. And, uh, you know, Utah is not a particularly good team. And CSU beat him by 24 the way it should have. Uh, Virtually no anxious moments at any point uh, during the game. And I think that team uh, for Colorado now is uh, coming together and, uh, we saw the other night o- O'Brien coming off the bench. Uh, Jop and and Dak, I thought, were good. Ruffin got to play because Hammond was hurt. Right. 
and he's he's a veteran hand who's a good defender. They really rebound well. And I I think finally some things are clicking with the team uh, on the defensive end. And offensively, they moved without the ball as well as I've seen a Colorado team move without the ball in years the other night. And that was the key to their building a big lead in the first half. They were unselfish, but they were also moving uh, without the ball. And I, I thought Eddie Lampkin starting to see him be a little more productive and uh, didn't play, doesn't play a ton of minutes because he's carrying around 265 pounds right. coming off a knee injury. He's not ever going to play big minutes, but he gave him 30 minutes out of 40 the other night, and he was really solid. Stayed out of foul trouble. He was good around the basket and, you know, threw his weight around on the defensive end. Rams go at it on uh, against Nevada on Tuesday. The Buffs on Wednesday tonight, by the way. The Colorado women who have lost three straight, but all the ranked opponents take on number eight UCLA tonight at seven. That game will be national on ESPN2. Want to remind you over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. You can win some money. This season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you'll score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means the win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. A new if familiar face at practice today for the Colorado Avalanche. One Valeri Nachushkin back on the ice. We'll find out what's going on there, how quickly he might be able to return to action, and also figure out what's going on with the Avs. Leads against the Red Wings. Leads against the Maple Leafs. Blowing them both. Getting losses in spots. They could be getting wins. We'll talk about it with My Life Sports lead Avs writer Arif Dean next. 